0: Father, we thank you, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. Lord, you're the only one who has got the words of life. None of us, none of us, oh Lord, none of us, we don't have anything to offer you, neither do we have anything in our own self, oh Lord, We only you and you alone. And therefore this evening, oh Lord, all of us, your children, Father, we have come to you to learn of you, to hear your voice speak to us this evening, even as we share your word that you have written by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Father, pray, Father, for your unction and your anointing over the speaking and the hearing of this word. Father, let it bear fruit in our lives, and Father, let it it make us more like you, even as we obey your word, Father. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we'll be continuing our series on uh, the mystery of uh, godliness and uh, today will be uh, part two. Part two of the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness that we're looking at uh, last Wednesday onwards, we started a series, mystery of godliness, we'll be looking at that. And uh, we'll, the text that we were considering was from 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. One of the most famous 316s of the Bible. And often overlooked, not considered uh, regularly, which I believe should be considered. And it talks about the mystery. And it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. We looked at this word, great, is the word megas. It's a mega mystery, if you will. The mystery of godliness is a mega mystery. It's a mystery of godliness And we looked at the fact that mystery comes from the word mysterion, of course. And God does not reveal his mysteries to everyone. His mysteries are only for those who are his disciples. We looked at that last time. We looked at the fact that his mysteries are for those who are humble, like childlike faith. Mysteries are for the mature, okay? And the mysteries are for the noble. The fact that God hides it from those who are not serious about... Uh, walking a godly life and we considered that. And the six mysteries of godliness, that first one is that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. This is 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, the six aspects of godly living. Of course they come together and uh, we were considering as to why we need to study this. This is very, very important for us in these last days. And why are we studying this? The question that we want, always want to ask ourselves, why do we study this? Why do we come together? Uh, why can't we just be um, uh, Sunday Christians? <laughs> why should we have Bible studies? Why should we uh, come in this uh, inclement weather, if you will, uh, enduring the traffic, enduring the potholes? All the things which ask us, you know, don't, don't come to church, you know, take it easy, you know. Um, why, why should we come? Why should we come? And, and there's one place in scripture which often keeps challenging me. It's in, first, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, it says, Even as you see the day approaching, do not forsake the gathering of yourself. And exhort one another daily. Uh, That word daily necessarily means that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, of course. But we don't often meet. We only have two Bible studies through the week. But we take every occasion to meet, provoking, exhorting one another for good works. And why 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 do we need to consider this? Why do we need to consider this is very simply the fact that there is another mystery which is at work, the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of iniquity. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter two, it says the mystery of iniquity is already at work, and the Holy Spirit is constraining the lawless one to be from from being revealed. But one day he will be revealed when the a is taken out of the way, and that fellow will come and exalt himself in the most holy place, and he says that I am God. And that mystery of lawlessness is already at work in all of humanity, even in our own lives, and we want to see what is that mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of iniquity, which is at work, and how do we counter this mystery of iniquity is something which we want to study and consider, right? So even though we are few, yet we are many, because we are considering this. This is something which God wants us to do. And we understood the fact that the the word mystery, by the way, in the previous slide, the word uh, godliness occurs about 14 times in scripture, or 15 times in scripture, uh, out of that, once it's mentioned in the book of Acts and it's rendered as holiness, the rest of the times it's mentioned in the epistles of Paul to Timothy and the epistle of Peter. And both these epistles written at the end of their ministries. And, and that's that's very significant for us because now both both these apostles one the apostle to the gentiles and the apostle to the greek as to the jews both these have been mature apostles in the body of christ they've seen hundreds and thousands of saints and they have seen that so many of them who have begun along with them haven't finished the race along with them and they have fallen away and yes, can you imagine that, I mean, so this falling away thing is right there from the beginning. So it's not something new. So there's, that is the reason why Jesus says, "He who endures until the end will be saved. And therefore it's very, very important for us to consider how, as to how we can finish and consistently walk with the Lord and finish this race that has been a point for, for each one of us. A separate course, an individual course. You're not running somebody else's race, you're running your own race. So this mystery of godliness has to be considered. So why do we study this? Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of, good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of, of the good doctrine, but reject profane and old wives fables. Okay, there are a lot of stories, but exercise yourself towards godliness. This is very, so very important. So you just, just not that, you know, when a child is born, you want that guy to grow and he needs to mature. He needs to exercise and you want him to play. You no, know, some of the things that we miss in this generation, those days when we were growing up, one thing that we did was playing and playing and playing till our mother started searching us. Okay. We, we don't play these days. We are all Xbox generation, no? We play with our fingers and not with our bodies. And that is the reason why so many of the children these days are obese before their time. And he says, exercise yourself towards godliness. So it's same thing with the spiritual walk. You need to exercise yourself towards godliness because bodily exercise only profits a little. Okay. But godliness is profitable to all. And he says, this is something which you need to understand. Godliness. Nine times in the book of Timothy, godliness is mentioned. And once in the book of Titus, in the, uh, in the episode of Titus. Nine times. So godliness is important. And then he says, why is this important again? Useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds in the district, and destitute of truth. Who suppose godliness is a means to gain? People lo- have a lot of things, no? Uh, to, to live a godly life means, to become a pastor means, that entitles you to... An offering. (laughs) In the entitlement mentality. He says, godliness is a means to gain. I've heard some preachers, God is asking me to spread the gospel to the entire world and he's, and I'm believing for a private jet. And I'm not kidding. I'm believing for a private jet. Why? Because my old private jet has Got spoiled, so I need a new one. So I'm believing. Send in your (laughs) gift. Godliness is a means to gain, you see. And he says, from such, withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That is not, we're not taught that. You see. And then and therefore he tells us the his his protege Timothy he says, But you, O man of God, free these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience and gentleness. This is so important for us, you see? And then again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, but know this that the time will come in the last days, right? Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. You see that? Having, what is that? They have a form of godliness. They don't really have godliness. They have a form, an outward form of godliness without an inward power to overcome sin in their lives. You see? So important for us to understand what is true godliness and what is false godliness. And this is emphasized at the end of Paul's life. Before he is going to his death, he's emphasizing this. So it's so very important for us to consider. And then move on. Then uh, why is this again important? Because Jude is writing in 1st, uh, in Jude chapter 1, there's only one, one, one chapter, verses 3 and 4. He says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the, the common salvation, he wanted to write a message. You know, most often it happens with a lot of preachers, godly preachers. They've already prepared a message and suddenly they come to the pulpit and everything changes. That's exactly what is happening. This guy was wanting to write something and suddenly the Holy Spirit interrupts and says, change the topic, write something else. He says, it was needful for me to write unto you. This is Judah, Jude. To exhort that you should earnestly contend for the face which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. You see that? So, exhort one another daily exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints why 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 is this important why he says you know he says for there are certain men who have crept in unawares now, that's exactly how it happens no people who creep in unawares what are they they are they were ordained old uh, before old they were ordained to this condemnation what kind of men are they ungodly men. You see, they are not godly. Ungodly men. What are they turning the grace of God into? They are turning the grace of God into a license to sin. I mean, you should see something called as a hyper grace movement that is going on in in, in Christendom these days. Hyper grace. God has forgiven your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. All sins. You don't have to Repent. Can you imagine? If when you sin, what does it make you? Sinner. No, simple. (laughs) Whether you are a believer or non-believer. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. If you don't confess, no, God will cover all your mistakes. God will cover all your mistakes and one day you will be raptured. They are in for a big surprise. Hyper. You should see how many preachers have gone behind this. Gain, one of the things you'll see, this gain in their lives, the gain is godliness. And then they turn the grace of God into a license for ungodly living. It's okay, brother. God understands. You see that? Ungodly men, what did they turn the grace of God into? A license for? Sin. But what is the true grace of God? It's the true grace of God. Everybody should understand that. See, it says, the grace of God which has appeared, that offers salvation to all men, I mean, the offer salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say what? No. To what? See? It teaches us to say no. I I remember Pastor Sundar was talking about this. I mentioned this some time back. You know, there was one church which was established by a godly man. After he served there for 30 years, after he left, six months after he left, they went into doctrinal heresy. And they came and asked him, why, why did it happen? Why did this happen? You know what he said? My, our pastor told us what to say yes to, but he never told us and taught us what to say no to. See, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is something which is very important, saying no to ungodliness. Therefore, we need to understand what is the secret of godly life, the mystery of godliness and this day and age, it's a mystery. What does it mean? This is something to be sought. We cannot be armchair Christians and then, we think, then think that you know we should will be will have a godly life. This is something which has to be practiced every day of our life. And therefore, Paul is talking about this: God manifested in the flesh. We looked at that. God manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. That is the f- first two characteristics of the mystery of godliness. What does it mean? To understand uh, uh, this, we looked at another rendering. This is in the, the Living Bible. It says, "It says it is quite true that the way to live a godly life is not an easy matter. Yeah, it is not easy. But the answer lies where? In Christ, who came to earth as a man, and then he was proved spotless and pure in his spirit. You see that, everybody? Did you understand?" Are you able to see it? Sproved spotless and pure in the spirit. What does it mean? It is possible to be born as a man and to be proven spotless and pure in the spirit. 1 John chapter 2 will say, As many as have been called should walk just as Christ walked. Just as? (laughs) Is it a suggestion or... A commandment. You see? Just as Christ walked. Just as Jesus walked. Everybody should walk. And we'll say, no, no, no. Brother, impossible. Impossible. Well, this is what he says. Who came to earth as a man and was proved spotless and pure in a spirit. Another translation. This is uh, the New Living Translation. Christ was revealed in human body. And was vindicated by the spirit. That's another word. What does it mean therefore? Who came to earth as a man and was proved spotless and pure in the spirit? What is the secret of godly life? The answer lies where? In Christ. And we looked at that, what it means to be born as a man. We looked at that last time, right? The power of temptation, we understood that, right? And the other thing is that, one of the things that he never did, he never justified himself. He never justified. You see, everybody was coming and asking him, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign, then we'll believe, we'll believe, we'll believe, we'll believe. He says, if I by the finger of God will cast out demons, the kingdom of God is upon you. And what is the finger of God? He says, if I by the Holy Spirit cast out demons, the kingdom of God is already upon you. You see. So I wanted to understand what it means. How do we how do we uh, appropriate this? How can we be proven spotless? What does it mean to be vindicated by the Spirit? He never justified himself. You see that? First Peter chapter two will say, Christ also suffered for us. When he suffered, he never tried to justify. It. But what did he do? He committed himself to him who just judges righteously. All judgment to the person who judges righteously. And then he says, he who, who himself bore our sins and by his stripes, we are healed. He never tried to justify himself. You know, one of the things that we also learn to, need to learn is not to justify ourselves. A.W. A. Tozer said, when you walk before the Lord, there are only two people who can justify. Either you justify yourself and do you have a chance before God? No. The, the writer of Psalm will say, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who can stand? But if you confess, he is faithful. If you don't try to justify, you know who will come alongside you? God himself will come alongside you and justify you. Whom do you want? You want yourself or do you want God to justify? You see? Okay. And then we looked at that. He said he learned obedience through the things he suffered. A very powerful verse. Learning obedience through the things that he suffered. So I was reading and considering what does it mean? How do we appropriate this word that God was manifested in the flesh and then he was proved spotless and pure in the spirit? How do we appropriate this into our own lives? Because we are also people who are living in the flesh. Yeah. And we should also, if God says that we can also be proven spotless and pure in the spirit. So how do we appropriate this in this life, in our life? You know, this is a passage that many of you might have looked at, but today is something I want to show you which I've never looked at before. Okay, this is not, this is not new. As I said, you need to discover this for yourself. <laughs> Nothing new. This is something which you need to discover this for yourself. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. We all know this, right? Romans chapter 8. There is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but, but walk after the spirit. We know that. Okay? And this is what he has to say. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 onwards. But you are not in the flesh. How many of you will take that? No, we are. We are in the flesh. Okay? But you are not in the flesh. In the meaning, we will understand what it means not to be in the flesh. But indeed, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. You see that? If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, then you are not in the flesh. Now, if anyone does not have the What? Now what is the difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ? Many people say it is the same. Oh, it is the other name for Spirit of God. Say so if it is the other name for Spirit of God, why should God use it? Okay. He, and he says, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. You do not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, the answer lies where? In Christ, right? If the Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of whom, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. What does it mean? You know, in Acts chapter 2, you know, to make matters worse, Peter will say something very interesting. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to be, to, uh, to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified him and put to death. Who? God raised up, having lose the pains of death because it was impossible. Did Jesus sin? Sin brought death. Okay? If sin brought death, did Jesus sin? No. So if Jesus sinned, he should not die and therefore what happened? The spirit came and rose him up. Logically, you see that? Okay? It's logic, very simple logic. Now, If sin brought death, Jesus never sinned. So he should not die. So what did God do? Send the spirit, rose him up. That is what is justification by the spirit, by the way. But how did this happen? How is it possible that when the Spirit of God is inside of you and he... How is it possible? How is it possible that he could live such a godly life? How is it possible? And is it possible for all of us to live such kind of a life that where one day we will also be raised along with him? Is it possible? Well, this is something which is always a mystery. What is the Spirit... Well, for me, not maybe some of you might have understood it in some measure. What is... Does it mean, between what is the spirit of God and spirit of Christ? No, to understand scripture, the best commentary for scripture is scripture. Everybody knows in Christ tabernacle, right? We don't go to Matthew Henry first, we'll go into other scripture first. Matthew Henry is a man of God, not listening his spirit of God. According to me, the way I read this part, the Spirit of God which is inside of you should produce the Spirit of Christ. What should it produce? Now, Vijay, you are reading too much into the text. Where is this term, Spirit of Christ, mentioned again in the Bible? To the best of my knowledge, in the entire Bible, you find the Spirit of Christ Mentioned only twice, once in Romans chapter 9, uh, sorry 8 verse 9, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 and another time, another time, again mentioned by Peter in his epistle. Look at what he says, in 1 Peter chapter, this is 1, 1, 1, 1, everybody can remember this. What is that? 4 months. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 11. Okay, Look at what he says, verse 10 onwards actually. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, what? The spirit of Christ in them was indicating when it predicted what? The sufferings of Christ and the? Ah. So what do you understand then? What do you understand by the Spirit of Christ being produced in each one of our lives? The Spirit of God should produce the Spirit of Christ and it is only the Spirit of Christ which will help us to live a godly life. And what does the Spirit of Christ teach us? The sufferings of Christ. And the, so then you will say, what does this, what does it mean Vijay? You mean to say that God is asking us to suffer? That means if you when you become a Christian, you will suffer. No, this is something which you need to understand. No? This is not this is this suffering is different. We'll talk about what kind of suffering this is. When you are in the world, you have suffering. When you come to Christ, there is suffering. Okay. A lot of people say when you come to Christ, you may be having suffering, you know, but God gives you the strength to overcome that suffering, and the suffering will make you fine. At, at one level, it is okay. Okay. Until you listen to counter-arguments. See, you always have to look, look at counter-examples to defeat every argument that you have. I remember this, this my, my boss, once upon a time he called me and he said, Vijay, I was going through this crisis and I didn't know how to handle it. But I determined myself in my mind that I will overcome this crisis. You know what happened? The moment I started making this decision to overcome this crisis, I did not know there was so much of potential inside of me to overcome the crisis. He also suffered. He also overcame. What kind of a suffering is this then? See, see, you will always find counterexamples in, in, in the world. Or you, you, and there's that other false gospel which will say, come to Jesus, everything will be fine. That is nonsense. Everybody understands that. When you come to Jesus, problems will only multiply. Okay. So what is he talking about? What are the sufferings of Christ? Well, let's move on. Now, people did not understand it. No, when Jesus was there, they always wanted a sign. He showed many signs and he says, I have shown you so many signs. You will not believe it has happened to you exactly according to Isaiah. When he said, who will believe our report, O Lord? Who will believe our report? That is Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who will believe our report? Nobody will believe. I'll show you sign after sign after sign after sign. Because you know why? They said, Christ, I thought, will endure forever. But they don't don't understand what Christ actually means. And even the disciples didn't understand. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 24. Everybody knows the road to M.O.S. And they have all these questions. And he said, oh, you foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. And all the the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should what? Suffer these things and then enter into glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Did Did he stop there? Same thing. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you which was written in Moses, Prophet, Psalms. And which Psalm is he talking about? Of course, Psalm 22, which is a graphic description of the Messiah's suffering. And he said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thus, it is written that Christ should suffer. And then on the third day, rise again. So what is the spirit of Christ? What kind of a suffering is this? What is What kind of a suffering is this? Now this kind of a suffering you need to understand, brothers and sisters, when you want to be proven spotless in the spirit, there is something else that is that is talking about. I'm going to show you a principle and an application. A principle and an application. This is A.W. Tozer in his book, The Root of the Righteous. This is what he has to say. Look at what he says. But there is another kind of suffering known only to the Christian. It is what? A voluntary suffering deliberately and knowingly incurred for the sake of Christ. Such a luxury, a treasure of fabulous value, a source of riches beyond the power of the mind to conceive. And it is rare as well as precious for there are a few in this decadent age who will of their own choice, notice that, go down into this dark mine looking for jewels. But of their own choice it must be, for there is no other way. When I read this, I said, What is it? What are you trying to say? Tell me, O Lord, what kind of a suffering is this? Is this a suffering by choice for the sake of Christ? Now tell me, who in the old covenant represents Christ to all of us? And you will say, Joseph, in Genesis. But never never did Joseph say, there will be some guy who is just like me, believe in him. Ah! You see, who was the one who said, there will be a prophet just like me, God will raise up and you should believe in him. And who was that man? Moses. I wanted to show you a principle. And I want to show you an example. What does it mean? What does it mean to manifest the spirit of Christ? What does it mean? Spirit of Christ... And you will only find this in the, in the New Testament. You will not find it in the Old Testament, of course. We are looking on and Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody knows this, right? By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called what? The son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't stop there. Then, what did I say? Suffering is a? Ah, choosing to suffer affliction. With whom? With the people of God. Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know something? This is what suffering is actually. Refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refusing. You know, one of the things that very Difficult for us to do is to shed the baggage of our past if it is good. Primarily. You see, a see, lot of people will say, you know, when I when I got converted, I was a drug addict, I was a good drunkard, I was a this and I was a that and I came to the Lord and God rescued me. Paul was not a drug addict. Paul was not a drunkard. You know what it says? According to the law, I was blameless. You know what? There is a difference between the conversion of Paul and the conversion of any arbitrary sinner. You know, Paul had to confess his righteousness. You see... He was a Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of all Hebrews. He was belonging to the the, the tribe of Benjamin. And he said, according to the righteousness which is of the law, I am absolutely blameless. Nobody can convict me. Nobody can point fingers at me. And then what did you become? You became an apostle to the Gentiles. Think, Think about it, no? Think about the brilliance of the genius of God. You have Peter, who was a fisherman. He was not an ex-Rabbi. Okay? Peter was a fisherman, not an ex-Rabbi. He will be called to teach the rabbis. Okay? Paul is an ex-Rabbi. Trained in the institute of Gamaliel. He was next to Gamaliel, the high priest, I mean, almost at that highest echelon, a brilliant theologian. He can expound the Jewish scriptures, left, right and center. You know what God will say? You will go to the gentiles i cannot understand the brilliance of god think about it no that day on the day of pentecost this fisherman who has not learnt any letters will stand up and he will quote joel and he will quote this scripture and he will quote that scripture and he will preach to his jewish audience and he will say men and brother and the jesus whom you crucified god has made both lord and savior and three thousand men will accept And when an ex-Rabbi goes and preaches to the synagogue, everybody wants to flog him out of of the synagogue. Incredible. You know why? And I believe Paul always struggled with this. Lord, I want to preach to the Jews a lot. I want to preach to the Jews. And God said, no, you will not go to the Jews. You will go to the Gentiles. You know why? Because I want to get rid of all the garbage in your mind. You thought the Gentiles were all, you know, untouchables. Now we are going to go. You're going to eat with the Gentiles. You're going to sleep with the Gentiles. You're going to eat non-kosher food with the Gentiles. You're going to preach to them in their in their temples. You will touch all their unclean things. That is how I'm going to cause you to suffer. You know what happened? He chooses to suffer affliction with God's people. Who did this for us? In the New Testament. Think about it, no? The baptism of John was a baptism unto repentance. Remember that? All the sinners were coming and getting baptized in the baptism, in Jordan, confessing what? Confessing their sins. And then comes the Lamb of God, spotless Lamb of God. He enters into the waters of baptism and he says, baptize me, John. And John is absolutely flabbergasted. He said, Lord, you should baptize me. Everybody will say you're a sinner. He says I identify with the sinful mankind. Let this be so because this is fit to fulfill all righteousness. He identifies with the sinners and he enjoins ourselves with himself with sinful humanity. Remarkable, isn't it? Remarkable. That is the reason why there are two great mysteries, brothers and sisters. One is a mystery of godliness. The other is a mystery of the church, which is mystery of the church and the uh, church and Jesus, which is essentially a marriage. Remember that? For the first time what had happened? So Adam is a type of Christ. And scripture says in 1st Timothy chapter 2, Adam was not deceived. Who was deceived first? Eve was deceived. And it says that both were naked. They were, they were absolutely clothed with the glory of God. And when Eve sinned, what happened to Eve? The glory of God departed from her. Adam knew very well what he was getting into. He did not. He was not deceived. He knew exactly what Eve did. And what happened to Eve. He didn't say, you know what? Baby, baby. You are in big trouble. (laughs) No. You know what he did? He chose to join himself into the predicament of Eve. And he accepted her with her sin. That is the reason why Jesus is called the last Adam. He was a type. See, Jesus identifies himself with sinful humanity. That is a remarkable truth. Remarkable, isn't it? It's it delivering. It delivers us absolutely, just frees us from all kinds of performance. Remember, when the first marriage took place, both Adam and Eve were spotless. There was no sin. They were absolutely innocent. When God brought Eve to Adam, she was absolutely innocent. He was innocent. There was no sin in their life. It was a perfect marriage. But you know what it says? In the last Adam, when he comes and marries his church, you know what he's going to do first? Adam was put in a deep sleep. And out came Eve. Adam was sinless. Eve was sinless. But now it is total reverse. Jesus, the spotless son of man, will be crucified on the cross. Tears through his side and the church is born. Now he is going to sanctify the bride and present that bride to himself as a spotless bride without spot or wrinkle. Total reverse process. That's an incredible thing, you see. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. That is the reason why we do not understand God now. Hosea. Think about it, no? Go and marry Gomer. (laughs) Who is this Gomer? She will be unfaithful to you, Hosea. She will be unfaithful. And through you, I'm going to make a lesson to all Israel. The way you are backslidden, that's exactly how it shows you in your backsliding. That's the reason why he says, return to me, my backsliding children. I'm married to you. I'm married to you. He chose to rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. That's exactly what it means. Choosing to suffer essentially means, you know what? It is not because you're good now. It is because you're going to join yourself with the people of God in spite of all their failures. You will join yourself. That is the reason why I call it the principle of leaving. The principle of leaving. That is the reason why when we sing that song, right? He laid aside his majesty.
1: He laid aside...
0: His majesty. Oh, the heavenly glory. He laid it aside. Okay, He left. That is the spirit of leaving. And there, listen to what he says in Luke's gospel chapter 4 verse 25. And there went a great multitudes with him and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me, hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life. He is not fit to be my disciple. Whosoever does not bear his cross and, and come after me cannot be my disciple. When did he bear the cross? At the end of his life or at the beginning of his life? It means right from the beginning, Jesus was having a cross in his mind. Right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. The cross was only the culmination. He did not offer his body First. He offered his soul first. It says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10, he offered his soul as an offering to sin. Offered his soul. That is the principle of leaving, you see. And I believe one of the reasons why we have many, many problems in our marriages is because we don't leave. What we have left is possibly our mother, brother, father, sister. We have not left our past though. You still carry baggages of the past. the problem, spirit of leaving. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34, he says, don't think that I came to send peace. (laughs) I did not come to send peace, but a sword for I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against his mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's force shall be of his own household and therefore, he that loves father or mother more than me hmm, is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me It's not worthy of me. Simple. Simple, most difficult. Truths to follow. One thing mama says, finished. See, that is where I believe most of our problems are. Because we have not left. We still carry the condemnation of our past. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you don't, brother, you don't know how I went through, what kind of situations that I went through in my past. And it is so easy for you to say, Okay, it is so very easy, easy, you know, you are this and that. But for me, you don't know. You don't know what I went through. What kind of an upbringing I had on. All kinds of past. Everything about our past you want to come. And and that stands before, after the fact that you have accepted the Lord. After the fact that you went into the waters of baptism. Everything about our past comes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. See? You, you, in other words, even now, even now, you can have the assurance that even as you're leaving outside the house of God, when you if you die, you will be with the Lord. You can have that assurance. You can have it now. You don't have to wait. You, don't, you can live a life of free from condemnation and guilt of your past. But we have not left it, you see. You're comfortable. And you know what it says? Look at this. this thing. This really... He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refused. Refused to be called a son. In other words, I'm. Doesn't matter how beautiful my past life is. I'm not going to consider it when I'm walking with the Lord now. See, refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Think, think about it. No, I don't. I don't know what, how it. We, we when we see the movie Ten Commandments, we only <laughs> have a glimpse of it. It's not. It's, it, I don't know what it took for this man to choose that path, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. What does it mean? Whenever you choose to be with the people of God, you will suffer. For for some of you, you had to come early from office. I don't know, or maybe you had to go early to office so that you can come early to church. I don't know. You see, some of you, <laughs> some of you had to incur the wrath of your boss You to come to church. You see, we don't know, but every time you choose to be with the house of God, there's always a price that you need to pay. You see, and that is the reason why there are so few disciples, see, so few disciples, What Jesus had only 12. There were crowds that came. You see that? When he saw what? Great multitudes. The moment he saw crowds, he said, you know what? I don't want crowds. I want only so those people who are interested in walk, in their walk with me. Alright. Oh brother, your church has to grow brother. I'll give you a formula for church growth. <laughs> what is church growth? Numbers. You started with seven? People will boast. We started with ten people, now we are a church of ten thousand. But how many of those ten thousand are? Absolutely on fire for the Lord? Think about it! I know, I know a man of God who said, I come to the end of my life, I only see very, very few people in my church. Maybe about two or three hundred after thirty years of service, I may, I may have seen three hundred or four hundred people. And, but you know what he says? But the Lord told me that every person in your church is a leader. The kind of leaders that you have mentored in a church so that they can go and teach others. You know, one of the principles that God taught me is 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. He said, Vijay, what has been entrusted into your hands, entrust it into other people so that they will also be able to teach others. Entrust it into other people. 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. You can make that your life mission as well entrust what you've heard from godly people, understand it and entrust it in other people. In other words, God is telling each one of you can be a potential leader. If you believe. But you have to leave there, you see. And he says, he that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life shall find it. Why do we not find him? Simple. It says in the book of Hebrews, the veil was rent. What was that veil? His flesh was rent so that we could come to the most holy place. But what is stopping us? Because you know what? We have a veil. That's the reason why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, it says, everyone has a veil. That veil is rent, but you have a veil and that has to be rent. See, every time you want to move ahead with the Lord, there has to be a veil which has to be rent. From the outer courts into the holy place, there is a veil. That has to be rent. From the holy place to the most holy place, there is another veil which has to be rent. The first part is possibly your flesh in the sense that your fleshly desires, the carnal desires. The moment you come into that, it is your soul. From the outer courts to the holy place, the flesh is rent or the carnal mind is rent. From the soul, from the courts, to the holy place, to the most holy place, your soul has to be rent. Both have to be ready to understand God completely. Otherwise you will be serving God even in your soul, even in your mind, but not in the spirit. You see? That leaving has to take place. That is the spirit of Christ. And then, leaving, and you should what? Leave, right? Matthew chapter 12, verse 47. And behold, then one came, one said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to speak with you. But he answered. Who is my mother? Who are my brother? He refused to call himself the Pharaoh's daughter. Even if she was of noble birth. And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciple and said, Behold my mother. Behold my brothers. Whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is ever, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister and my mother. You know what the incredible thing is? Incredible thing is that... Even on the cross, he looks at his mother and he says, "Woman." he never, say, never says "Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother and he's, t- he's telling them, "If they are my mother and my brother and my sister, why are he why are they not here listening to my me- my message? why are they outside?" But they were offended. they were all misunderstood, and one of the things that happens to you the moment you genuinely leave you will be misunderstood by the most dearest family members. Most. You'll always misunderstand. End of the, always church, church, church. Anta holy You know why? Because their conscience is pricked. Suddenly this fellow has changed. You see that happens? You don't have to be the holy. Always church, always this, and they will also put guilt trip. Does it not say in your Bible that you should honor your father and mother? Yes, but not at the cost of your relationship with the Lord. And exactly at marriage, will all be set, everything will be tested, as I said. Exactly at that time, everything will come down. The roof will come down. You see, I mean, I, I'm not trying to boast. I mean, one of the things that. That happened to me, I can only share it from my own life, you know, when my parents got baptized, something which was unbelievable for me, you know. I could never even imagine that we were all baptized saints and my parents are going into the waters of baptism. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly happened even to Jesus' mother. (laughs) You see, it was exactly the same thing. She also went through the waters of baptism. She went through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and she became a part of the Bride of Christ. And one day she's going to be married to her son. Amazing. Absolute dying to every earthly relationship. That is the spirit of Christ. That is suffering. This is suffering for Christ's sake. I'm not saying like you know, like that Jesus said, no. Korban. <laughs> I'm not saying that. That that a lot of people use that also. Korban. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, that nothing will hinder your relationship with God. You're very clear. Nobody can touch you there. Nobody, even your parents will know. This is most holy place for Vijay. Your wife will also know. No compromise over here. You see, That is what it means. Leaving and cleaving. Sorry. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 6. What, what will this entail? Galatians chapter six verse nine onwards, for the one who sows into his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And look at what he says: Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. If you do not reap, do not give up. And verse ten: So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but to the household of faith. Very clear. Who will come first? Relative who's not saved or a brother in the Christ who's in your church. I remember one brother who called me from, he said, Anna, there is one relative in my home, and she has a need. Okay. And she asked me for money. Should I help her? And a brother also is in need in the church. Should I help her? I said, very simple. Household of faith first. You have, le- you have died to it and you will suffer and you will be misunderstood by your relatives. The moment you do that, you will be misunderstood. And they will all come after you. They will ask for your head in a platter. Literally. You see that? Leaving will entail all these things. This is a simple truth, but it's true. It's very profound. Very difficult for us to follow. Because we always want to satisfy and appease them. You see that? When you go there, and we don't want to act actually very holy. You see? You don't want to do that. And then second thing, I understand this overcoming overcoming is what? A corporate affair. What did he do? He chose to suffer afflictions with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Okay. If you want to overcome sin, you need to be with God's people. Simple. You see, you cannot be a lone believer. I've seen many lone believers who come to church only on Sunday, and when you look at their lives, absolutely defeated. You see, you know, in, in, in um, I can give it for my own example. I can give this. You no, know, if if you, if you in, in in research, there's something called as if you submit a paper to somebody, there's something called as a peer review. You know what I'm talking about? Peer review. What does peer review mean? You write a paper, so you'll have peers who will review what you did, and you know what they'll do. They will tear it apart. They will say, this is wrong, that is wrong, this concept is wrong, that concept is wrong, how did you do this, how did you do that, show the code, show this, show that. They will tear you apart, they will not believe one thing you said. And if a research paper is accepted, it means you've really, really gone through the rigor, rigorous peer review. I remember my PhD thesis when I sent it for the first time, it returned back to me with red ink, red ink, red ink, red ink, everywhere. And I was so depressed. Why? Because are peers, And exactly the same in a believing house, you have like-minded believers who are progressing in one area, who are overcome in that area, and if you make yourself accountable to them and ask them to do a review of your life, and if they are genuine brothers, and if they love you, and if they don't want to flatter you, they will say, Baba, this, that, this, they will tear you apart. You see, that is, that is basically humility, you see. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. You know, when that, it, when that, when it covers, it says in the book of James, when you see a brother committing error, those who, whom of you, which of you are spiritually more mature should correct that brother and bring him to the Lord. Love covers a multitude of sins. It is not, chalega, chalega. No, 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 that is not love that is that is the reason why what to do when you choose to suffer affliction with whom with God's people people who will not flatter you who will tell you exactly what you are to your face even in your dreams i'm not kidding i remember once now i was dreaming suddenly one sister came into my dream from the church i don't want to mention the name you did not pay your tithes seriously it happens If you're walking with the Lord, he will correct you. And people don't want that. You know, they want to come and tell you, Richie, you're such a good boy, bro. Nothing is a problem with you. (laughs) See, people don't like peer review. Especially when they grow up. They always want to hide. I mean, somebody was telling me, Recently in the church, I don't want to mention the name. That person was telling me, he said, you know, in India, so many people before marriages, they say cover up everything. They cover, they cover, 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 cover. They don't want to tell the entire truth. But once they get married, everything will come out. Can of worms. Is this true? But you know when you come, when you choose to come to the house of the Lord, that is the reason why accountability is such an important thing. You choose, when the moment you come to the people of God, one thing you are telling, you know what, I am accountable to one another. I am accountable to you, you are accountable to me. And if I sin, if I commit a mistake, I am giving you the authority to correct me. And if I sin, I am giving you the authority to correct me. Both of you, there is there's a, there's a mutual transaction of faith that comes up. Comes there, and people don't like it, but they want blessing without accountability. You see, that is how you choose to suffer affliction. Okay, Psalm chapter eighty-four, verse ten: "For for one day in your courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and be corrected when I do a messy job than to dwell in the tents of wickedness." And be flattered. How many of us got corrected when we went into the movie theater? None of us. (laughs) That is the reason why it says in James chapter 5 verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick one. And the Lord will raise him up. And. If he has committed sins. He will be forgiven. When? Confess your faults. To one another. Pray for one another. Other, that you may be healed. And one of the reasons why many people in the church of the living God are not healed, because they are not accountable, they have not come and told the complete truth. You see, that is how when you, cho- when you choose to suffer affliction with God's people, you are telling, I am vulnerable, I am willing to lose my reputation. I don't have a reputation. That's exactly what Jesus did. When he went into the waters of baptism, everybody thought he was a sinner. And he took that risk. Uh, the spirit of Christ. Everybody thought he was a sinner. On the cross, everybody thought he was a sinner. Hurry, think about it. No, how can it be? Maybe some mistake he must have done somewhere. There cannot be smoke without fire. You see, and God took that risk of losing His reputation. Think about it, man. The most spotless. Human being that ever lived on the earth was thought that he was a sinner. And we are sinners who don't want to be called a sinner. (laughs) That is the irony of it all, you see. And therefore James chapter 5 will say, He who committed no... If you have committed your sins, confess. At the spirit of Christ. Open yourself for correction. And one of the things I want to say. Lord, I'm not, I want to get corrected even if it's by when the most simplest brother in the church. And I'm telling you what happened to me. When brothers were conversing, they were talking about some unrelated stuff to me, with me. But one word from that, the Holy Spirit took and convicted me. One word. And when you are with God's people, this will happen. Not when you gossip, but when you Discuss. When you sharpen, that's the reason why it says iron sharpens iron. Like iron sharpens iron, so are the flashes of a good friend. A good friend will come and say, this is a problem with you, you see. Okay. Overcoming is a corporate affair. Then, <clears throat> sorry, what is again the spirit of Christ? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. Steaming the Reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. It's one thing. See, overcoming your sin is one thing. Overcoming yourself is another thing. You see? Many people overcome their sin, but they have not overcome their self. You see, what, are, what, what do you mean by that? They have some carnal appetites or whatever it is. They have through practice and through self-discipline, etc., with the spirit. They have done a lot of things and they have overcome one day. But one thing, you can still look at them. There is a semblance of self-life in them. It's their way or the highway. That is the flesh. When Jesus said, when it says in the book of Hebrews, the veil was rent and that rent, that rent veil was his what? Was this? Now, what is that flesh? Was it, his, was it his body or was it his mind or was it his soul? I mean, sorry, was it his soul or was it, was it his body? You can never give your flesh for renting unless you have surrendered your soul first. See? See? You will never be able to give your body. How will you be able to give your body unless you have already prepared your mind to give it, give it first? And it was a struggle for Jesus right till the at the end of his life, he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but not your, not my will, but your your will. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. You know what happens? There are so many things in your life which are okay, which are not sinful. Which are not sinful. Which should not appear to be sinful at least. What is wrong, brother, in doing this? A lot of Christ people ask, what is wrong in this? What is wrong in this after all? What is wrong? What is wrong? Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of for he looked to the reward. To understand this, I look look at another verse, in Hebrews chapter 13, sorry, verse 12 to 14, he says, So Jesus also (laughs) suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, what? Bearing his reproach which he endured, for here we do not have any lasting city. What does it mean? What does it mean? Every time you want to make a decision for Christ, they will tell you, which this is a foolish idea. It's a foolish idea. Foolish. Think about it, no? Abraham, you're leaving the Ur of the Chaldeans. Foolish. Abraham, you're asking Lot to take the first choice. Foolish. Abraham, you're wanting to offer your own son on the altar. Foolish. Foolish. You're going to leave this job for this foolish. You, why can't you do both? Why can't you do both? You See, a lot of people ask this. Why can't you do both? What is the, what is this after all? The moment you say that you made a decision for Christ, everybody will become holy. I remember, you know, once one uh, my colleague of mine. I said, "This is what I'm doing. I'm going. To, I'm leaving, and I'm going here." Okay, you. What do you do? I said so many things that we have in our church. Oh, you have an orphanage too? Okay, if you want any offerings, please let me know. If you want a donation, please let me know. All of a sudden, everybody becomes holy. They will say, you know, you can do this. And you can also do this. You don't have to do both. I mean, uh, you, you don't have to just completely leave one and follow the other. You don't have to. You don't have to. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You know what it means? In order for you to sanctify others, Jesus said in John's Gospel chapter 17 verse 21 he says, you know what, for their sake what do I do? I sanctify myself think about it the very son of God, in order for to sanctify the people of God he has to separate himself in other words, you know what it means? simple principle, what others can, you can't simple simple If you have been called into serious leadership positions, what others can, you can't. All things are necessary, are uh, are allowed, but not everything is beneficial. All things are necessary. I mean, are, are allowed, but not everything is beneficial. You see? There's a difference between, you know, meeting, let's say, some another brother in a ch- from another church at a theater, and meeting me at the theater. You see? There's a difference. What are you doing? I'm relaxing. Oh, if he can do it, I can also do it. That day you have become a stumbling block. You see? What is this Lord? I mean, whatever. this is too much Lord. God says, what others can, you can't. right from the homes. The moment you start living this life, you have to become an example for your children and you cannot tell them, don't watch. And you keep watching. Don't watch. Go, 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 go. It's not good for you. What are you doing? You have the power. Maybe it will not affect you. But you have become a stumbling block for your child. Already. see. What others and you can't. You know, there's a lot of problem here, saints. It is, there's a difference between call, being called the son or a daughter of a godly man and being called a son or daughter of another man. You know what Isaiah said? I and the children that the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. And the son will say, Baba, what are you saying? What is, what is this kind of a name? Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Lo not my people. Okay. Not my people, let's go to school. What kind of a name is this? People in the... And just because I am the son of a prophet. Others can? You can't. I think... Uh, Uh, Somebody, this was uh, Paul Washer when he was growing up, he had this real, real problem and he was struggling with this and he said, why are so many believers doing this and they're all getting away with it and his mentor was Leonard Ravenhill. He said, you know what, Paul, what others can, you can't. That is a cost for leadership. Will you take it? that is the spirit of christ see this is a choice that's what i'm saying this is a choice you have chosen this path and you're going to choose this path of suffering because you're not only just going to live for yourself no you're living for your other brothers you have chosen the afflictions of christ rather than the pleasures of sin you want to connect yourself with god's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin you're going to suffer along with along with god's people and be called all kinds of names for his sake see there are two levels of persecution in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake." He doesn't stop there. Blessed are you, when men revile you, and they call all kinds of names, for whom? For my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. The great is your reward in heaven. What does it mean? There are so many righteous people who, who suffered and also were martyred. Okay? Greatest example in our own country, we have Mahatma Gandhi. That's the reason why we call him Mahatma. He was martyred, because he was a righteous man. But there's another thing. He was a righteous man, but never confessed Christ. Even though he believed Christ, and he used the principles of Christ. Where do you think that he got the principle of non-alignment and and, uh, non-violence? Slap on this cheek, show the other cheek. Where do you get it from? Where did you get it from? Civil disobedience. Where did you get it from? You got it from Matthew chapter five. You use the principle of nonviolence from the Bible, but you will never confess the author of the Bible in your life. You suffered for righteousness' sake, but you did not suffer for my sake. but you know what? Blessed are you, when you are called all kinds of men, because of my sake, you will go outside the camp and be reviled and be reproached. That is the spirit of Christ. That is when purity comes. I'm telling you, saints, you cannot believe, you cannot sit in a church and say, one day I will become pure. No, this is a choice that you make every day, a deliberate choice to choose suffering, to suffer with God's people, to suffer with God's people. And you know what, what, what dimensionalities it takes. There's an accountability which comes there overcoming life is not, not going to be an easy thing. You have to confess your faults and God will deliberately use that because you know what? One of the ways to obtain grace is to humble yourself. And how do you know that you humble yourself? When you go and confess your vulnerabilities to another sister or another brother. See, Zach Poonen said a very interesting thing, right? A lot of people will say, I am of Paul, I am of Peter, I am of Christ. You know the greatest, the most dangerous among all these three categories? Those people who say I am of Christ. You know why? Because there's nobody about them who can whom the, who, to whom they should be accountable. I am accountable to myself. There is no such thing. That is the spirit of Christ. If there is a spirit of Christ, then there is also a spirit of what? Opposite to Christ? Antichrist. Let us see what it means, and we'll stop here. The spirit of Antichrist. Everybody see this, okay? 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. That is of the spirit of God. In other words, this godly life not possible, brother. It was only possible with? Jesus didn't come in flesh, in other words. Verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Which you have heard, that is coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist. You should say, you know what? There is no, only Jesus. Jesus suffered. He became righteousness. I'm sorry, he became sin so that you, you, you have become a righteousness of God. You have already become righteous because of his sin. Because of his offering. You don't have to live a godly life anymore. It was only possible with Jesus, not with you. Spirit of Antichrist. You see that? Great is mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh and justified in the spirit. And we understood what it means, at least in some measure. Shall we pray this evening? Um, this evening, you, you, you just ask yourself, you know, I mean how much how much of the spirit of God inside of me has wrought the spirit of Christ inside of me? There's a lot of difference between having the Spirit of God and actually manifesting the Spirit of Christ. Father, we thank you, Father, for this evening. Father, thank you, Father, for the word that was shared. I pray, Lord, it will become life. It will become life, Lord. It will just not be set of principles or truisms, but it will become truth in our innermost parts. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.